you know, held annually, annually since 1958, the FedEx St. Jude Classic is a PGA golf tournament held in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, of course, because that's where the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is located. You should know that that very tournament is being held this weekend, June 9th through 12th, its final day being today. They're on the golf course as we calm down, as we speak. Now, now, now stay with me. I could hardly contain my excitement when I discovered what I'm about to share with you. You see, St. Jude, as in the author of the book of Jude and the half-brother of Jesus, is the so-called patron saint of hopeless or impossible causes. Why is that important? Stay with me. Because Mark 5, which we finished today on the very weekend of the FedEx St. Jude Classic, has been called the St. Jude chapter of the Bible. Do you see the significance? Well, if you don't know, I am not going to tell you. Just kidding. There is no significance. It is true that that golf tournament is being held this weekend, and it is true that Mark 5 has been called the St. Jude chapter of the Bible. Beyond that, can't help you. When I saw this chapter has been called the St. Jude chapter of the Bible and looked up St. Jude, and immediately the St. Jude classic came up on Google, I started hearing harps playing and angels singing. I knew there must be something. But I got nothing. So, so why is Mark 5 called the St. Jude chapter of the Bible? Well, because St. Jude is called the patron saint of helpless or impossible causes. And why is he called that? Let me share with you. Because his name is actually Judas. But to avoid confusion, confusion with Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, our English translations call him Jude. But again, because his real name was Judas, he became the ignored saint. Well, what do I mean? Because his name was the same as the traitor, few, if any, faithful Christians prayed for his intervention out of the mistaken belief that they would be praying to Judas Iscariot. As a result, St. Jude was little used, and so Jude himself, in heaven I suppose, became eager to assist any who asked him to the point of intervening on even the most dire circumstances. Bring whatever you got, I'll take it. And the church, wanting to encourage veneration of this forgotten disciple, maintained that St. Jude would intervene in any lost cause to prove his saintliness and zeal for Christ, and thus St. Jude became the patron saint of lost causes. You will even see that most pictures of St. Jude, now those aren't actually pictures. I have to say that for the teens who are present. There weren't smartphones back then. Your parents did not even have smartphones in their pockets, not actual pictures. But those p- 
pictures depict him as holding a picture of Jesus as if to say, see, I like Jesus. Are you still with me? I mean, where else could you get such useless information? So why would Mark 5 be called the St. Jude chapter of the Bible? Because of the amazing miracles, the amazing healings that have taken place in this chapter. It started with Jesus and his band of disciples landing on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee after a rather crazy boat ride. There to meet them was this, what I called a new dude in a rude mood, a demon-possessed guy who lived among the tombs. Chains were no longer able to subdue the guy. No one was able to do anything about his condition. He was helpless. He was hopeless. It was, after all, an impossible situation. Enter Jesus. He healed him. He clothed him and, and restored him to a right mind. Then next came Jairus' daughter. We, we looked at her last week. This synagogue ruler named Jairus, who, who likely opposed Jesus in his very recent past, came to Jesus and, and actually bowed at his feet. You see, his daughter was at the point of death. No, no doubt, Jairus had exhausted all of his resources, and, and no one was able to help her. She was too helpless and hopeless. Not only was she terribly sick, as we looked at the story, she died. So don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. It is now an impossible situation. Enter Jesus. He went to Jairus' house. He, he put the mourners out. He took the little girl by the hand and said, Talitha kum, little girl arise and and she did. She started walking around. You see, she was 12 years old. She was helpless and hopeless until Jesus showed up. So really, all of that about the Saint, about Saint Jude in a golf tournament really has nothing to do with the text today, but hey, Jude. <laughs> Come on, I worked hard on this introduction. This, you guys are hopeless. This, this, this brings us to our story this morning. It's another story, of a, it's another story of a hopeless and helpless situation. Enter Jesus. You remember Mark is using one of his famous sandwich narratives. That's where he starts a story and he interrupts it to tell another story before he finishes the first story. We looked at the beginning and, well, and the ending of the story last week, the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. And we skipped the interruption for like a week now. And certainly the interruption allowed time for Jairus' daughter to die. But we have also noted that Mark usually ties two stories together in this, in this fashion intentionally. There are related themes, and, or there is a significant contrast. In this case, there are both. So, so let's read our text, the middle of the sandwich, if you will, as we get started, okay? So Mark chapter 5, verses 25 and following say this. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and, and was not helped at all, but, 
but rather had grown worse. And after hearing about Jesus, she, she came up in the crowd behind him and, and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and, and be healed of your affliction. This is another incredible story of healing in the midst of a chapter full of, of healings, of, of helpless and, and hopeless, impossible situations. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I throw the outline up on the uh, on the screen. Uh, first, I want to begin with look by looking at the similar themes uh, in these two stories. That is why uh, would Mark and the other synoptic gospels, by by the way, Matthew and Luke, record uh, these stories this way. Besides the obvious fact that they happened this way, and then I want us to take some time to look at the story itself, and then we're going to close our time by looking at. Uh, what is really a rather obvious contrast in these two stories, we're supposed to notice. And I think that you will find that they will be an encouragement to you today. So, so, so first, well, what are the similar themes that we see in these two stories which cause them not only to be recorded together, but actually happen together? Consider. Obviously, both people needing healing at this point are, are, are women, are women. Once a woman, another a, a little girl. Uh, next, one had her issue for, for 12 years, and the, the other was a 12-year-old girl, by the way, which meant she was almost at, at marrying age. Next, both who sought healing knelt at Jesus' feet. Jairus, as he sought healing for his daughter and the, uh, the woman who had already been healed. And, and next, both were called daughters in their respective stories. The, the little girl was Jairus' daughter, and, and Jesus called the, the woman daughter. In, in fact, this is the only place in the gospel stories, outside of that time that he calls the women of Jerusalem daughters, this is the only time in the gospel stories that he calls an individual woman daughter. I wonder why. Uh, next, both receive their healings by faith through Jesus' touch. It was Jairus' small faith, but it was Jesus who touched the little girl. And the woman believed by touching Jesus, actually his clothing, that she would be healed and and we just read that she was, which leads to the, the next, the final rather significant similarity. In fact, it is not only true of these two stories, but the, but the first story as well. And, and that is Jesus either touched or was touched by unclean people. You, you, you see the demon-possessed guy who lived in the tombs? Uh, he lived among dead people and, and, and pigs. He was no doubt unclean, and yet Jesus touched him. 
And the little girl was dead when Jesus touched her. She was unclean. And this woman, this was doubtless, we're going to see, a menstrual bleeding issue, which made her unclean. In all three cases, Jesus touches unclean people, and he doesn't become unclean. They become clean. Listen to me. This is central to our understanding of the gospel. Jesus came in human flesh to die in that flesh, to to sanctify, to make holy the rest of us, all of us, who were unclean. That's what Jesus came to do. There are also, there are, you see, lots of similarities between these two stories. But now for the next few moments, let's take a look at the story itself. Jesus had been approached by a synagogue ruler named Jairus. His his daughter is sick to the point of death. If Jesus does not come and heal her, there's no hope. Impossible situation. Situation. So, So Jairus kneels in Jesus' presence, and that small act of pleading faith caused Jesus to respond. They begin to make their way to Jairus' house. Now, Mark has been careful to note the crowd's pressing in around Jesus, many seeking to be near him, no doubt many wanting to touch him. In verse 21, when they got back from the eastern shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee and they landed, they, they had to stay by the seashore since there was such a large crowd they couldn't even make their way into Capernaum. Then, after Jairus made his request, they start making their way to his house. We read in verse 24 that there was a large crowd, and the, the words he uses is pressing in on him. So in the midst of that jostling mass of humanity, we meet this woman. This woman. The wording in in the Greek is is actually quite masterful. Verses 25 to 28 are are actually one sentence with, with seven participles. Now, I've been giving you English grammar courses through the, through the years. Uh, participles are those I-N-G words supporting the main verb, but that main verb doesn't even appear until verse 27. But the effect of that is to build the emotional drama of the event. This woman, he says, let me tell you about her. You're not going to believe it. And he he gives us these seven participles, and finally she comes up, main verb, and touched Jesus. Uh, Let me break it down for you. Subject of the sentence is woman, and we hear all about her condition first, and it's meant to evoke some pity. She was a, well, she was a woman, you see, having a, a first participle, having a hemorrhage for, for 12 years, hemorrhaging for 12 years. Literally, she bled. Most undoubtedly, everyone agrees, with menstrual bleeding. It's incredibly important. Not only was she sick, her sickness made her unclean. You see, the Old Testament law was very clear about this in Leviticus chapter 15. She was unclean during her menstrual cycle, 12 years, which means that every bed she slept in became unclean. Every chair that she sat in became unclean. 
Every person that she touched became unclean. Her own husband, if he was still around, most feel that he was not, wasn't even allowed to touch her. She wasn't allowed to go to the temple. She wasn't even allowed to go to the local synagogue. Her life had become miserable, ostracized for 12 long years, meaning not only was this lady sick, but she was cut off from social and religious relationships within the covenant community. You see, by this time, it, it became clear, not only are you unclean, you are, you are nothing, you are a nobody, stay away from us. Ostracized, cut off. She was an, unlike the demon-possessed man. They didn't chain her. They just did worse. They, they wouldn't even look her way. She was desperate. Sounds like a perfect candidate for St. Jude. <laughs> or maybe Jesus and the kingdom. Second participle, having endured literally suffering much at the hands of many physicians. We're supposed to notice that. Having suffered much at the hands of many physicians. She gained, literally, she gained nothing. All that, all the doctors. But by the way, I, I told you this story is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when Luke records this story, he leaves this part out. Because he's a doctor. He just says no one healed her. Third, having spent, having spent all she had was not helped. She's not only, I mean, she was not only sick, but she is destitute. She'd spent all of her resources on, on a cure, and it had not helped at all. Everything she had on a cure. Now, let me stop right there and take a little aside. What might medical science have offered her in the way of help at this time? I know we have a lot of medical people who attend our church. You may want to you might want to take notes. One of my commentaries lists the common cures for maladies of this type. He said the Talmud lists 11 cures for this specific illness. Some were potions, but others were mere superstitious folly. Consider. Take of the gum of Alexandria the weight of a small silver coin of alum the same, of crocus the same. So, so there you go, the gum of Alexandria, uh, the alum, and, and, and then crocus, the same weight, about the size of a dime, and, and, and let them be bruised together and, and then given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If it does not benefit, take of Persian onions three pints. That's like a, a quart and a half. Boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. Have you know what flux is? Do we have any physics majors in here? Nobody cares. <laughs> Kidding. Had to look it up. Flux is used today to speak of the flow of particles or energy or fluid. Rise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, Get this. Set her in a place where two ways meet. You know, kind of like at the Wendy's intersection. 
and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone come behind and frighten her. <laughs> kind of like you're trying to get rid of hiccups. Pretend like you don't know I'm here, okay? And say, arise from thy flux. In another place, the Talmud recommended the afflicted. That's a very specific word. It speaks of being terribly bruised. An afflicted woman carry barley corn that has been taken from the droppings of a white she-donkey. You guys taking notes? Paul, you taking notes? Another cure said she needed to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and in a cotton bag in the winter. None of this helped her. Is anybody confused as to why? As humorous as that all may be, let's not miss the pain and the shame and the embarrassment of this woman and her rather desperate measures to find a cure. Which leads to the next two participles, participles four and five. Despite visiting many doctors and spending all that she had, she, having not been helped, that's it, having not been helped, in fact, rather, next, having only gotten worse. Despite all of these efforts, she'd only grown worse. And so, verse five, uh, or uh, not verse five, but um, the, the next participle, participle number six, hearing about Jesus. There's a little change. First five participles, this lady is in a deplorable, destitute situation. Are you feeling for her? Hearing about Jesus. She was prob probably from the area of Capernaum. She'd heard the story. She'd heard about all the healings and they'd been performed throughout the area and how he was healing everybody who came to him. And, and so hearing that he was back, she made her way to her only hope. Last part, so, and coming up to Jesus. The tension is building. Mark, the master storyteller, brings us to this final participle before we finally get to the verb, the, the, the action of the sentence. And, and coming up to Jesus, she touched his cloak. She, she touched his cloak. You see, verse 28 she thought if she could just touch his garments, she'd get well. And so she made her way through the crowd. They're all focused on Jesus. They get their backs to her, and she's forcing her, her way in. She's touching them. Thinking that if I can only touch the fringe of his cloak, maybe one of those tassels that Jesus had on one of the four corners of his outer garment that, that he wore that was required by Numbers chapter 15. If, I, if only I could touch one of those, I could be healed. Then I'll just, I'll, I'll just slip away into obscurity and no one will know. Here's a question. Would it help if no one knew? Throughout the New Testament, there's 
there's almost this magical, mystical, superstitious thinking about healing and miracles. Uh, for example, later we, try, we find out that they tried to position themselves so that Peter's shadow would cross them or, or touch Paul's handkerchief. <laughs> the, the authors, it's interesting that the authors of the New Testament don't deal with these issues of superstitious beliefs. They probably held them as well, but, but, but rather, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they make clear that the healing is by faith in the power of God, not in some magical potion or touch. But this, but this is how they thought then, and Many have capitalized on that superstition today, and if you watch certain religious programming, broadcasting, you, you, you will find someone promising that if you will just send in a certain amount of money, then they will send you a blessed Kleenex, I don't know, and, and then you can be healed. So, so let, let me help you with that particular idea. Skip the money. I mean, if you feel like you've got to send money to somebody, uh, no, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> Skip the money and the tissue and trust God for His sovereign power and ability to heal in your life. Notice, however, I said trust in His sovereign power. He will choose according to His good and gracious purposes what you need. Back to the woman. Why'd she act, why, why did she act like this? Why did she come secretly rather than crying out like so many others did? Well, I mean, was it fear? Or was it because she was ceremonially unclean? Or was it because she, like the leper or the paralytic, like the demon-possessed guy, had become an outcast of society? Remember, by this time, not only are you sick, you're deplorable. We don't even want to see you. Was it because she thought herself unimportant? She knew that she didn't deserve his attention. Maybe like some of you. So she came up behind him, not wanting to be seen, not wanting to interrupt. I don't want to bother him. I mean, I know he's really busy. I mean, after all, he's on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus is important, for Pete's sake. Maybe, just... Just maybe, if I could just touch his cloak, I, I, I believe I'll be healed. And her plan worked up to a point. She desperately made her way through the crowd. You get the back to her. She's in the, in the back. They're look, focusing on Jesus, and he, he up comes a woman like everybody else, jostling to try and touch him, and She's touching them. She's desperate. She touches his clothes. She doesn't even touch him. And immediately she was healed. She could feel in her body that she had been made whole. So now, overjoyed, she turns to melt away in, into the crowd. Again, we read the flow of her blood was dried up. She felt her in the body. She was healed in response to her faith. Jesus healed her. 
He made her whole. That's what she needed. But that's not all she needed. Verses 30 and 31 are quite interesting, produce a lot of discussion. Jesus immediately perceives that the healing power has gone from him, so he turns around and asks, who touched my garments? Lots of discussion about this. Here's the discussion. Some suggest this is a great picture of the, of the God-man. Yes, Jesus was 100% God. He was also 100% man. This is true, but, but they say, so when Jesus became a man, he, he emptied himself of the divine use of his attributes, or at least the freedom to use them. And, and so while as God, he was able to heal everyone as a man, he didn't know who he healed. <laughs> his knowledge was limited. I suppose in the general reading of the text, that's possible. Just want you to know, don't buy it. Yes, there are times that he limited his knowledge of certain things like the time of His second coming. Remember, He said, I don't know when I'm coming. The angels in heaven know, and only my Father in heaven knows. So, some say, since He emptied Himself of the free use of His divine attributes and His humanity, He didn't know who touched Him. Again, I'm not going with that explanation. If you want to go with that explanation and limit Jesus, you go right on ahead, not me. Rather, I think Jesus knew exactly who touched Him and he had the woman in mind. Just like he was enlarging Jairus' faith, allowing his daughter to die, so he was also enlarging this woman's faith. You see, she thought she could just slink away. Who touched me? Come on, you had the faith to believe that I could heal you, and I have now have the courage to declare your faith. Not, not only that, I, I think... I, I think that he wanted everyone else there to know. This woman who had been unclean for, for 12 years, this woman whom you've shunned and ostracized for 12 years, she's now clean. I think he did it for her. Disciples were quite perplexed. They look at him and are you kidding? You see the crowd, the pressing in on you. Dozens, maybe hundreds have, have touched you. How can you ask who touched, touched me? The better question is, who hasn't touched you? Let me just make a little point here before we move on. In the midst of the clamoring of a crowd... Jesus could discern the heart cry of one who needed him. Does anyone here this morning need to hear that? You show up. You show up on Sunday mornings. You're in the middle of a pretty big crowd. There are hundreds of people. Pretty inconspicuous. Hardly anyone notices you. You have a need, but the, but the crowds, they're, they're so big, and the, the needs are so great. Will, will Jesus even notice? Jesus always hears the heart of one who cries out desperately for him. While the, while the crowds may not, Jesus will. Listen to me. He knows right where you are, and he knows just what you need. I want to encourage you today to reach out and touch him. He will respond to your call. He will give you what you need 
in his sovereign control because he sees you, even if none of us do. Jesus ignored the disciples' question, kept looking around, giving opportunity for the woman to respond. So the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, aware that she had been healed, came and and, and fell down before him and, and told him the truth. What's the truth? I've been sick with an issue of blood for 12 years. I'm unclean. I touched lots fell on her face before him. At this point, the crowds, the crowd recognize who she is. They back up in horror. She told him the truth. I touched a lot of them trying to get to you. And Jesus, I touched you. I believe that Jesus was calling her to declare her faith. Think about that. He typically called for secrecy, didn't he? He typically called for the messianic secret. There will be no premature forcing him to be the political, military, ruler, messiah that they wanted. He would, he would not be that. You see, he came to deal with sin and, and, and its destruction Like a 12-year hemorrhage, like a 12-year-old little girl dying, that's what he came to deal with. But then, as now, Jesus would have no secret followers. No incognito Christians. He would have us declare our faith in him. So I believe that he calls this woman to declare her faith, and she does. She told him the truth. So Jesus looks at this fearing, trembling woman and gently calls her daughter. Again, it's the only place that Jesus calls personally a woman daughter in the gospel accounts. Why here? She's on her face. The crowds who have ostracize her or no doubt have backed up. She's unclean. Don't, don't, don't even look at her, Jesus. And to their horror, they hear the story that she's made her way through the crowd, that she's touched some of them and she's touched Jesus. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Not the sur- surreptitious touch, not magic, not mysticism, your faith. Go in peace. Find the shalom, the peace for which you have spent everything that you have. And so that all could hear, that crowd could hear, he says, be healed of your affliction. Everyone knew that she was no longer sick. Everyone knew she was no longer unclean. Jesus not only healed her of her physical but illness, but he, he, healed, he healed her of her social and religious challenges as well. All this brings us to our conclusion. I have suggested that this sandwich is not only recorded by all three authors of the Synoptic Gospels because of some significant similarities, not only because it happened this way, but also I've suggested that there is a significant contrast 
Yes, lots of similarities. Two daughters in need of healing, in, in whom the number 12 played a significant role. Two bowing at the feet of Jesus, reminding us Mark's purpose. This is the Christ, the Son of God. Two people healed. This is wonderful. But, but there is also a, an important difference we should notice. First, there was Jairus. Jairus! <laughs> He's an important guy. Synagogue ruler. He's a wealthy man, a religious leader. As I suggested last week, he's likely a Pharisee, well-respected. He's in a position of authority. Of course Jesus is going to respond to him. You would. You, you would pick Jairus on the playground. First one picked. And then there's... Then there's the woman. We don't even know her name. She's a destitute woman, an outcast because of her particular issue. Likely, as I suggested earlier, divorced because of this issue. She's hopeless. She's helpless. Easy to overlook. No one would pick her. Why, why does Jesus single her out of this crowd? Certainly there were others that day who needed healing Certainly he was in control of the power going. It wasn't like, oh, some power just leaked out. No. What's going on here? Why her? Because she is exactly the kind of person that Jesus is looking for to populate his kingdom. In fact, she is exactly the kind of person that will only populate his kingdom. Poor, destitute, Hopeless, helpless, my only hope is you kind of people. <laughs> Not the kind of people we choose in our evangelism, right? When we look at someone, we think, I'll share my faith with that person because they're fine and upstanding. They'd be a good person to have come to our church. They'd be, they'd be a good person to have on Jesus' team. Most of us would never have chosen this woman to be part of our group. We would choose more respectable, religious, well-to-do rulers. Oh, by the way, Jesus did choose him too. As soon as he was at the end of his rope, when he too was helpless and hopeless, when his daughter was dead, that is the only way that you can come to Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who bring nothing to the table, those who are spiritually bankrupt, because they and they alone get the kingdom. Here's my point. You do not have to have it all together to come to Jesus. Quite the opposite. Those Marines might be looking for a few good men. Jesus is looking for pathetic, broken, pitiful, helpless, hopeless people who turn to him in broken, trembling, grateful faith. That's the only way you can come. So why is this here? Why in the middle of a really big miracle do we have this healing of bleeding? I mean, really. I mean, could this be seen, as, as I suggested last week, as a bit of an irritating interruption? Come on, get out of the way, lady. We're on our way to a real miracle. We're, we're on our way to a resurrection. We don't have time for a little bleeding. But Jesus did. 
Is there anybody here who needs to hear that? Jesus is a big God. Yes, he's got big things to take care of. Yeah, he's running the whole universe. And you may think, I won't bother him with my little problem. He's got bigger things to worry about. I've got good news for you. While Jesus is, bu- is busy keeping planets from running into each other, while he keeps the stars suspended in space, while he's taking care of little things like resurrections, he cares about He cares that you're hurting. He cares that you are in need of a touch. And I'm going to suggest today that he will stop and he will meet your need right where you are. Because that is the kind of God that we have. Jesus cares for you. He is just waiting for you to reach out and touch him. He will meet your need and give you the grace that you need to face everything that you're facing. According to his good and sovereign purposes. I want you to hear Jesus say to you this morning, yes, I raise people from the dead. I'm a busy God, but I'm not too busy for you. In fact, I will stop this whole crowd and stop your hurting. I even still have the ability to heal. I will take care of you. While the whole crowd is clamoring about you, I've got time to look you in the eye and say, son, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. Let's stand for prayer.